0: You're listening to the Arctic Circle podcast. In this episode, we learn more about the ICE 911 research, now the Arctic Ice Project, and how they are already testing a way to restore reflective Arctic sea ice, a project that can make a significant difference in fighting climate change. We will hear from ICE 911 experts, Leslie Field, founder and CTO. Peter Wattams, Emeritus Head of the Polar Ocean Physics Group in the Department of Applied Mathematics and Theoretical Physics at the University of Cambridge, Stephanie Lapancy, Consultant at ICE 911 Research, and Steve Payne, Governing Board Chair at ICE 911 Research. The session originally took place at the 2019 Arctic Circle Assembly.
1: Good morning. It is... Such an honor to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me to be here at the Arctic Circle Assembly. It's a deep honor to be speaking to every single one of you, people from all over this beautiful planet of ours. Everyone in this room, I believe, is bringing everything we have to the table to work on helping the world's climate situation. What I bring to the table is my concern as a citizen, and the mother of two children I love dearly, as well as my skills and perseverance as a technical problem solver, an inventor, and an engineer. I'm here today to discuss an issue of concern to us all, an issue that impacts every person on Earth, especially those who live and work in the Arctic, and which is central to every sustainable development goal we have. The Arctic is melting. We all know it. We've all been talking about it and hearing about it. For 700,000 years, over the entire course of human evolution, our Arctic Ocean's sea ice shield has reflected most of the summertime sun, keeping the northern ocean cool and the northern air cold. It helped establish a stable jet stream that helped keep the northern hemisphere stable, cool, and livable. The jet stream has become a chaotic looping set of winds devastating the world's historic weather patterns. The resulting heat waves, extreme colds, severe storms, droughts, and fires are widespread, tragic, and ever-increasing. Could you please start the video? You'll see here a two-minute video from NASA. I guess you can't hear me if I step away. Um, And this is... um, It starts sort of slow. You're seeing years and months up. Aha, I have a pointer. Years and months up here. You're seeing brightness of sea ice here. What's happening is every winter we refreeze. Open ocean is very dark. First-year ice is very thin and not very reflective. Multi-year ice, what we used to have a lot of here up in the Beaufort Shire, is very bright. Notice how much ice flows out past Greenland through the Fram Strait. And notice, as the years go along, how each winter, when we're regrowing ice in that cold, dark time of year, we're growing less of the multi-year ice because more of the ice has melted and there isn't a foundation of this stable ice that persists year to year to build on. So NASA put this together. It's the best visualization I've seen yet. And what it's showing is that over these last four decades, we have lost most of the reflective ice in the Arctic. really starts moving here, 2006, 2007, but keep watching. And what you'll see is there's no natural way under current conditions, that multi-year ice is going to come back to the Arctic. It's an alarming, it's an alarming thing. So there we go. Um, Can you please turn that off and not start the slides quite yet? Um, The risks from this situation are profound and increasing. As the exposed Arctic Ocean absorbs solar heat, the ice melt that was once primarily a consequence of a warming world has become a driver that itself is now increasing the global rate of warming multiplying by a factor of one and a half the warming we are already experiencing from the increased greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. This is because with the loss of reflective ice in the Arctic, we no longer reflect nearly as much solar energy in the summer, but instead we're absorbing it into a warming ocean, into melting the ice that is left in an accelerating feedback loop. Everyone in this room worries that we will exceed the temperature targets of the Paris Accords. Restoring Arctic ice is absolutely necessary to keep the increase to below 2 degrees C and will help considerably with sea level rise as well. If we do nothing, how much will temperature increase above 1.5 degrees C or 2 degrees C or even much more with ever-increasing dire consequences? Every degree matters, and every degree is worth fighting for. The particular work we have undertaken—now I would like the first slide. Will that happen? Um, First slide, please. The particular work we have undertaken at ICE 911 Research is to rebuild the reflectivity of Arctic sea ice using a surface coating of a simple and safe material in order to develop and test a reversible and safe lever to mitigate climate devastation. This graphic shows how adding a hair's thickness of a kind of white silica glass sand can make young thin ice reflect more like multi-year ice. May we go to the previous slide? I didn't, I think I skipped it perhaps. Summarizing that 95% of the Earth's historic heat shield has gone. We've lost most of the bright reflective sea ice in the Arctic. And that this was a NOAA um, uh, assessment in their report card in December 2018. Um, Please now, uh, no slides. We'll go back to just speaking. We at ICE 911 do all our work with a commitment to first do no harm. The years of small-scale laboratory and field testing we've done, always with transparency and permissions, and the expert climate modeling done by our collaborators at Climformatics predict that by treating a small area of Arctic ice, we could rebuild, retain, rebuild, reflective ice throughout much of the Arctic. There are no easy answers, but there is prudent insurance that we can put in place of developing governance frameworks and permitting procedures, support and funding for responsibly and openly exploring and testing on a small scale the most promising and realistic options to rebuild the stable climate and thriving ecosystems we need. The relatively small costs of building this urgently needed decision-making and funding framework and doing the small-scale rigorous testing and climate m- and climate modeling work it will allow in order to establish, evaluate, and understand the risks and benefits of any of these proposed solutions so that our path forward in climate restoration can be arbitrated by an international and fair-minded body such as the Arctic Council, the UN, or other international collaborations, the cost of this framework and technical development work and adoption will be repaid manyfold in prevention of tragic and widespread climate impacts worldwide. Saving Arctic sea ice appears to be the task that humanity must take on first to stop the acceleration of warming and instability, to give the world time to adopt the rest of the measures needed to stabilize climate, such as decarbonizing our economy and atmosphere. Decarbonization will take more time to fully implement because of the widespread infrastructure changes it will require. In the meantime, we can work to save lives, property, and ecosystems by saving and restoring Arctic ice first, giving needed time for the rest of the hard work on decarbonization to, together, get us on track for a sustainable future. By urgently prioritizing Arctic restoration work such as this, we can lay the groundwork to avert a future that otherwise may include an ice-free Arctic, global temperature rise of five degrees C or more, the risk of increasing Arctic methane releases, and the tragedies that would come from collapsing ecosystems, leading to untold numbers of climate refugees, life and death battles over necessary resources to survive, and perhaps even endless war. The decisions we need to make, the transitions we need to make in the world's economy and ecosystems, will include balancing short-term benefits, such as using the resources in the Arctic uncovered by melting ice, enjoying a temporarily increased prosperity, against the longer-term devastation on our shared future if we do so and continue as we have. As a concerned citizen and mother, I ask your help in developing governance permitting and funding frameworks to make these important decisions and priorities, including to starting as soon as possible the urgent work needed to restore Arctic sea ice and start the work on decarbonization to move us toward the sustainable future humanity needs for the sake of every living being on Earth. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Leslie's already set this in context, but uh, perhaps I can just mention again the the, uh, the philosophy behind restoring Arctic ice. When it became clear that we're facing a climate emergency, the main response of everybody and all the organizations from the uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change downwards via the, the Paris climate agreement was that what we have to do as a planet is reduce carbon emissions and so the focus was entirely on reducing emissions Uh, and of course that's very very important but in the end it it doesn't save us completely because we the, the duration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is hundreds or thousands of years if we keep adding co2 even if we add it at a reduced rate the climate will keep getting warmer. The CO2 level will keep rising and we'll simply roast as we're roasting now, but we'll roast more slowly. So that means that we can't depend on re- reducing emissions. We have to go for something that will take us beyond. And the ultimate, I think, is is uh, direct air capture to actually get the CO2 level down. But in between the two, there's a real... Um, Sticking plaster period needed in which we we reduce the rate of warming by methods uh, in, involving increasing the reflectivity of the planet, uh, changing the albedo, and the target there that's most that responds most readily is Arctic sea ice. And as Leslie said, Arctic sea ice is a terrible threat in many other ways because of the possibility of a of a methane burst, the way in which the loss of sea ice uh, encourages the increased rate of melt from the Greenland ice sheet. Things like that that are terribly bad for the whole climate of the planet, not just for the Arctic. So you can attack those if you can find ways to get uh, to reduce the, to bring back Arctic sea ice and in that way increase the average uh, albedo of the planet. So that's what really this, this, uh, uh, module, I suppose you call it. This 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 set of talks is all about.
2: All right. I promise I will keep this brief. Um, As we've heard throughout this conference, the changes happening in the Arctic aren't just affecting the Arctic. Our planet is an interconnected system, and the vanishing ice is already having ripple effects around the world. The impacts of climate change are already readily visible from the top of the highest mountain to the very bottom of the ocean, intangible for every human on the planet, no matter where you are. The Paris Agreement was adapted in 2015 and was ratified by enough countries for it to enter into full, into full force less than a year later—a record in international law. I think we can all agree that that shows the urgency and the commitment of the international community to act on climate change. That kind of powerful stand by the international community is what we need today. These new emerging technologies, such like the work that Ice Nine One One research is undertaken and others are here to stay. But in order for them to be safely tested and deployed and to ensure and to ensure common transparency, a new governance and funding model needs to take shape with the same force that accompanied the Paris Agreement. A set of rules to implement such governance needs to be articulated by governments, civil society organizations, indigenous communities, scientists, youth, and many other local, regional, and international stakeholders. Conferences like this really show that our future demands each of us bringing our unique talents and skill sets together. It also tells us that the time to act in silo is now long gone. The time for collaboration is today, In events like this, in forums outside of this, and in continuous conversations. Thank you.
3: Good morning. I, I think it's clear. It's this discussion and several others have pointed out that restoring Arctic sea ice is a key leverage point, not just in the Arctic, but in cl- cooling the climate globally. There's just three points I'd like to make on top of that. One, um, it's a multi-strategy approach. You know, obviously we have to reduce emissions. Uh, nobody gets off the hook. There are a lot of difficult choices that need to be made. The second part of that, however, is approaches to remediate the situation. Um, they all need testing. They all need ethical review. You know, None of these work in a vacuum. Um, the The second point here is the science is moving ahead, but this assembly is very much pointing out, you know, the critical importance of some governance frameworks. You know, the effects are transnational. Um, we need national, international bodies, indigenous groups broader sets of NGOs to weigh in uh, in the balance of options available to us. Third point I'd like to make is that I've been really pleased to see the interest at these plenary sessions, at the breakouts, in the hallways, you know, all the people we've had a chance to talk to, you know, while we've been here. Um, But uh, there becomes a time to move beyond interest to action. Uh, And and we certainly don't need to tell this audience uh, that time is short. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you to all our panelists um, for starting the conversation here on how we are working to develop collaborations, develop governance, help to develop governance and funding frameworks, the need for multi-strategy approach and the essential role of Arctic ice in climate change. And thank you to President Grimson and the Arctic Circle Assembly for inviting us here and to all of you for your attention.